Let's just uh, lift up our hands and just bless God for this next session. Let's just thank him for what he has already taught us. Let's thank him for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Let's bless him for his loving kindness. For his mercies. For his faithfulness. Let's bless God because he's a great God. Let's just talk back to him. Let's respond to his love. We know the Bible says that God has commended his love towards us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He's talking about us, me and you. The Bible talks about how we did not love God, but that God first loved us. That is a revelation. That, that is such a simple but powerful revelation. We're going to sing a song now. And I warn you, I'm not a psalmist or a, a singer. But I cannot just resist this song. It's a very, very simple song. We all landed in Sunday school years, years ago. And it goes like this. Jesus loves me. Yes, I know. For the Bible tells me so. Again, yes, Jesus loves me. Do you really believe that? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. For the Bible tells me so. Think about that. That song should take on a new meaning. It's not just words that's written by some person who is clever to write the song, but it is true. And whatever we do as we move forward in this next teaching, we need to acknowledge this God's love. And so, Father, we just lift up our hands this afternoon. We acknowledge this your love that surpasses knowledge. When we look at ourselves, our shortcomings, our failures, our inadequacies, and all of the ways where we miss it, annoy you, and just blow it completely. When we look at it, we wonder, how can you love us? But Father God, we come to acknowledge your love for us is not because of what we do. It's not because of our strength. It's not because of our good looks. It's not because of our performance. It's not because of our efforts. It's not because of anything that we can do. But God, this is because you've made a decision. And you will not change on it. You say you've loved us with an everlasting love. We embrace that this afternoon. You say we are the delight of your heart. We embrace that this afternoon. You say we are the apple of your eyes. We embrace that this afternoon. You said we're a chosen generation. A holy nation. You said 
We are a special treasure of people. You've called us out of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of Odia. So now, so Father, we say thank you. If we had a thousand tongues, we cannot thank you enough for what you have done, what you are doing, what you are about to do. We embrace you. We bless you. We praise you. We magnify you. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable. Thank you for loving us when we were unappealing. Thank you, Father. We bless you. We praise you, Lord. We magnify you. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise God. All right. I know you guys have so many questions, but let me just uh, move on here. The first thing I want to say as we continue this afternoon is that we cannot fully appreciate nor grasp the extent of the grace of God if we fail to understand and grasp the extent of his love to us. That is the starting point bar none. We must have a healthy dose and appreciation for God's love in order for us to receive his grace. The best example I can give in human relationship is a safe harbor that we have with one another. My ability to recognize and acknowledge that David loves me so much and therefore out of that safety I'm able to come to David and say David this is what's happening in my life. I'm willing to become naked to David. Why? Because I'm assured of David's love. That if I tell him this secret about me, he will not compromise me. Why do I know that? Because I know that he loves me. And vice versa. And so it is with God. So it is with God. And this is what makes David in his scriptures so unique. With all of his shortcomings, all of his failures, all of the sins that David committed, they never became a barrier or a war between God and him. Instead, when he blew it, he ran to God. God was his safety. Because he had such a healthy understanding that God was approachable. And until we get that, we will, make, we will not make progress in grace. It's not possible. Because the enemy will make sure to remind you and me of our failures and shortcomings until you think, I'm not worth it. God won't talk to me. No. But God is not like that. It's not like that at all. At all. In fact, I'll show you in the scriptures. And I pray that you can receive this. The Bible is absolutely clear that God is no longer angry with anybody. 
no longer angry. Why is he not angry? Why is he not angry? Because all his anger and wrath, what did he do with it? He placed it on his son Jesus. And Jesus satisfied the anger and the wrath of God once and for all. And so the anger of God has subsided. Would you help me if you see that in the scripture? I just wonder. Because if it will help, then we need to, we need to look at it. Please give me Romans chapter 8 in the message translation. While I'm looking for this. Thirty one. Let us start from thirty one. Amen. I'm trying to find another scripture while, <clears throat> while I'm going to Romans chapter eight. Yep, I found it. Isaiah chapter 54. Mm, 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 mm. Now, why can I read Isaiah 54 in the Old Testament to support a New Testament truth? Why? Is the gospel? What else? What do you say? Correct. Both of them are right. But there's another fact. Isaiah 54 is after Isaiah 53. What happened in Isaiah 53? Who has believed our report? To whom the, has the arm of the Lord been revealed? On and on and on. Verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. On and on and on. What is that talking about? Isaiah 53, what I just read. Jesus' is crucifixion. Crucifixion. Crucifixion marks the beginning of the new era. So now when I open to Isaiah 54, what is that? Post-resurrection. That's important you understand that. Do, do, do you get it? Post-resurrection. Now what did he say after resurrection? All right. Isaiah 54. Let's start from verse 7. For a mere moment I have forsaken you. But, 
With great mercies, I will gather you. Hallelujah. With a little wrath, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting what? What is everlasting? <laughs> with everlasting kindness, I will what? Have mercy on you. Who said it? Banga Kimola? No. Says the Lord, your Redeemer. Verse 9. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. Oh my God. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah will no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that what? I will not be angry with you nor rebuke you. Am I talking to believers in this house? Okay. Verse 10. Listen at this. Look at what God is saying. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Post-resurrection. This is God's disposition to you and me after the resurrection. Amen? Amen? Now, I was saying to us that it is very, very important that we be properly established in love before we can really receive what God is saying to you and I. And we're going to jump back into it in a minute, but I just want to take the ground, the time rather, to properly establish this love issue. We had a, quite a dialogue during lunch. And so many of us were saying so many things. And it is just so obvious to me that if we don't resolve that issue, we will always have a stumbling block in our moving forward in God in grace. First of all, the way you and I define love is miles, not even miles, gulfs apart from the way God defines it. My definition of love distorts God's definition. Absolute distortion. When I think of love in a human plane, I'm thinking of the emotions I feel towards my wife or she feels towards me. And usually, hear this, those emotions are based on some mutual expectations that we derive from one another. If she meets those expectations that I have in my, in my heart, then I feel warm and fuzzy towards her. Is that correct? If I meet some expectations that she has of me, then I have feelings of warmth and fuzzy towards her. So what is that based on? Selfishness. That kind of love is based on what I can get and what she can get. So that's what we bring. So when we see God, we are looking at him from the perspective of what do we give God and what does God give us for the most part. 
for the most part. But there's nothing that can be further from the truth than that kind of definition of love. Five key ingredients in love that will help us put this in perspective. Five key things. Key things. God's kind of love. The, way, the reason God can love the world, John 3, 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Where's Dockers, Bishop? Okay. Number one, God's kind of love. God loves without changing. Without changing. Nothing that you and I can do can change God's love for us. And may I add to that, you can't increase it, nor decrease it. His love does not change. It's constant, consistent. That's number one. Number two, now, now you can easily see right here that this, the fact that God's love does not change, you compare that with my love and your love. It depends on how I feel. It depends on how you delivered. If you delivered, based on my expectations, I love you. If you didn't deliver, mm, I love you a little less. But God's love is unchanging. And I'm going to show you scriptures for that in a minute. Let me just give you all these five points and then we're going to go to the scriptures. Number two, God's love gives without demanding or expecting repayment. God's love gives without demanding or expecting a repayment. This is how God's love is so different from the love that you and I are used to. Number three, God's love is so great, it can be given to the unlovable and to the unappealing. You saw how God loved the Samaritan woman. Number four, God's love keeps on loving even when rejected. You heard the Jews say, Matthew 23, crucify him! Crucify him! Did that change his mind about loving them? Nope. <laughs> nope. He just kept on loving. And lastly, God's love gives because it wants to. It's a decision. It gives because it wants to. Now, <clears throat> several questions were brought up to me during lunch. Particularly about the sin issue. If a person sins and they do this, they do that, how does that affect their position in God? And it's a legitimate question. It's a valid question that we should not ignore. But before I answer that question for me, 
Let us see what scripture says about God's love relative to me and you. Can you dim those lights for me a little bit? I'm going to read it from overhead. Romans chapter 8. I can see it. Can everybody see? This is the message translation. Verse 31. So, what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? Next. If God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who will dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who will dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us? Who was raised to life for us? Is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? Now, this is the question. This is the critical question. Is anyone or is anything going to be able to drive a wedge between us and God's love? There is no way. Now, notice I didn't write this thing. I'm reading the Bible for you. There is no way. Not trouble. Not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing. Oh, not even the worst sins listed in scripture. You can remove it. That's enough. I don't think I need to. Do I need to read any further? Okay, let me, let me read more. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We are sitting dogs, they pick us up one by one. Read on. None of this faces us. Why? Because Jesus loves us. I am absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic, demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. That's enough. That's enough. Turn the lights back on. Now, I'm emphasizing it because I'm telling you, if you don't settle the love issue, you have difficulty in embracing God, the grace issue. This is what the writer of Romans is saying. God's love for me and you is absolutely, completely secured. Well, Pastor, are you saying that everybody will go to heaven? No, I didn't say that. I already addressed that earlier. But something else that we need to make absolutely clear 
what stopped me way back in those days and what's stopping many of us right now in being able to understand and embrace this message is the sin issue. And that's why the, Roman, the writer says not even the sins in the scriptures listed can separate you from love of God. Now, I didn't say that. It is written. I just showed it to you guys. Did I, did I, did I write it? Why can he say that with authority? He can say that with authority because the sin issue God has totally, completely taken care of. Totally, completely taking care of the sin issue. It's done. Wow. I don't know if it's the lunch, if you ate too much carbohydrates. <laughs> I don't know what you guys ate, man. If you swallow some stones or something, I don't know. <laughs> but you guys are looking at me like, man, I want to take a nap. <laughs> Jesus, see, the reason the Bible says we have a more excellent ministry, a better covenant, based on better promises is because in the old covenant, the sin issue was never settled. The Israelites, when they sinned, had to bring an animal sacrifice every time to receive forgiveness or really, shall I say, a covering for their sins. The sins were never removed. Just think of our position, our positions in the past. Think of, really, my position in the past is just a glorified Old Testament believer. That's all it was. Because this is what we said. Jesus, God could send his son Jesus to die for our sins. But now that I'm a believer, if I sin, I'm not really sure what God will do for you. How is that different from the Old Testament? Because in the Old Testament, every sin had to have just sacrifice to take care of it. But the Bible is telling me and you today that Jesus has established for us a far more superior covenant. How is it superior? Based on better promises. How is it better? An excellent ministry. How is it excellent? Because if I have to go back and do what the Old Testament saints did, then there's no difference. There is no difference. Please, let's break it down. Let me just take a pause. I want to make sure we understand that. What is the difference between the Old Testament saints and the belief system we have all this while if every time I sin now, I have to offer a more sacrifice, another sacrifice? How am I different from the Old Testament? Somebody explain it to me, please. No, I mean, really, because this is a summit. When Jesus died once, forever, that death atoned for all of our sins. The one you did it before, the one you're doing today, and the one you've not even done, that you'll do two years from now. 
Take it. If you don't believe that, I am telling you, you are not born again. I'm escalating the, the stakes. No, 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 it's the truth. And I'm going to show you in a minute. Oh, I'm going to go to the scriptures. Because what's the essence of him going to the cross? If I'm saying he just went, and every time I commit a sin, I need to send him again. Why did Moses not enter the promised land? Because he struck the rock twice, rather than once. The first time he struck it, represented Jesus being smitten on the cross. The second time they needed the same water, God said, don't strike it this time, speak to it. Mm. Speak to it now. You struck it once. That once represented him being crucified. Now, after that crucifixion, you don't strike him again. If you want anything, you speak it. Rather than speaking it, he struck it. And God said, no, you are disqualified. That is what we are saying to people when we constantly put them back under the law. I'm having fun in my sanctified soul because I know in whom I have believed and I know in what I have believed. I know whose I am. Yes. This sin issue forever settled. He said, well, pastor, what do we say to, and to all these people that are still in sin and doing all these crazy things? Okay. Let, let's, let's back up a little bit. Because really the issue, what we are struggling with is this notion of eternal security. That is really what we are struggling with. Let, let me go there. For which sin does a believer lose their salvation? Which sin? Is it when they lied the first time? Or when they lied the 13th time? Or when they lied the 99th time? When did they lose it? Somebody answer that question for me today. When? <laughs> there are a lot of wise men and women here. Oh, come on. We are safety here. You can talk. Just give me scriptures. Yes, go ahead. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help us. Tell us when you, when you lose your salvation. Look, tell me. Um, actually, um, to really agree with this, is because if we really look inwardly now, and we, before the break, we had a discussion here. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, how many of us don't have any sin here right now? If you cool. follow no right to that, then That's come over here. If none of us can come over here now that I don't have any sin, then I don't think we have any argument. Well, I can come there. I don't have any sin. <laughs> I don't. I don't. In, in a, well, and I can tell you, I can tell you why. Why? Because Jesus bore all of my sins. Okay. Past, present, and future. So I'm clean. You are clean. Absolutely. Yes, exactly. By the power of the blood of the Lamb of God. I am whole. I'm sanctified. I am clean. Hallelujah. I am holy. So now, 
Exactly. On the basis of but that. Not on the basis of what you. That's the point. That is my point. So we, we in ourselves, we're nothing. It's only based on Christ and what He has done. So there is nothing I can. His righteousness. I, I will see every day in myself because I, I'm nothing. It is Christ that makes me who I am. And that's the essential point. That's the major. That's where I was going. That's the point. Uh, the righteousness. Okay, look at what Paul said. Galatians chapter two. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but the life which I live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Who what? Who loved me and gave his life for me. So the essence of my living at all must be understood from the point of reference that I am only living in and through him. God is not looking at me. Oh, Jesus. Let me show. In the Old Testament, can you be my animal sacrifice for a minute? No, because, because I need to demonstrate this. You need to see this. When I bring that animal to, to, to the altar to be slaughtered by the priest, I am the offerer. This is the offering. The priest's job is to meticulously look at the offering. Is there any blemish? Is there anything on this ship? All the while, there was no focus on me, the offerer. The priest is not looking at me at all. At all. Is the animal abroad? The animal is the one that must be without spot or blemish. Not me. Jesus has not taken the place of the offering. He has become the once and for all perfect offering before God. So when God sees me, he's not looking at me, the offerer. He's looking at the offering. And he is, thank you very much. And the reason Jesus sits at the right hand, he sits there and he's showing his father. Oh my God. The, 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 the truth is too much. Let me, let me, do you know what's happening? The Bible says he sits at the right hand of the throne of God, number one. Number two, he forever lives to make intercession for us. Please don't misunderstand that to think that Jesus is doing what Pastor Tosin does and just pray. No. No. He's not interceding with words. In the new heavens and the new earth, when everything becomes new, there is one thing that will not be new. And we saw that in John chapter 20. When Jesus, after resurrection, appeared in the room. Thomas, who had up to that time never believed, Jesus showed him his wounds. The wounds on his hands and he said, Thomas, look at my hands. Look at my side. What does that tell me? That tells me those scars were still there. He may heal you and I, but he's carrying the wounds of his death. Even to this day in his body. And when you read again in the book of Revelation, the Bible talks about how you see a lamb by the throne of God as if slain. 
So there is a sense of remembrance in heaven of the lamb that has been slain. So what does Jesus do now? He just simply sits. And when the accusations are flying and people are pointing fingers, bank, ah, you lied yesterday. Oh, bank did not pay his tithe. Oh, bank did not. Jesus just said, Father, look at the wounds. I don't need to speak. The wounds speak for me. I was wounded for his transgression. I was bruised for his iniquities. The prize for his peace were upon me. By my stripes, which you see, Father, angels, all the hosts of heaven, by the stripes you are seen on my body, they were healed. It's a done deal. Now, I'm going to address... The, 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 I, I, I had a problem with this for a long time. I have all those guys that live in a riotous lifestyle, careless lifestyle, and just hormonging around and lying and thieves and all these heinous, ridiculous things people do. How does God deal with that? How should we deal with that? How should we respond to that? Let me address that. And then I'm going to go on to Hebrews and show you this new covenant. What you and I forget. Okay, first of all, let me just say this. Saints, oh God, Father, help me to help them understand what I'm about to say so they don't misunderstand it. Once you and I have believed, if we really believe, since we never stop it from going to heaven. I'll show it to you in the Bible in a minute. But there are consequences for sins. Big time. Please say big time. Because I want you to know, we are not here to give anybody license and occasion to go and, go and sin. All the people are doing it without license anyway. Nobody's asking for a license to sin. They just do it. But I want to make it absolutely clear that what we are saying here is not something that gives anyone the liberty or the empowerment or the encouragement to go and sin. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If nothing else, the total complete opposite. Because when I truly realize what it costs God to cleanse me, to redeem me, to rescue me, when I fully come to that understanding, the last thing I want to do is evaluate him. What grace does is not give me liberty to go and sin. No! Grace empowers me to live above sin. Let's read one scripture. Titus chapter 2. And then I'm going to address the consequences of sin. Because this is very important. People hear this message. First of all, let me say, say this as well. If this message does not challenge you to say this is too far, then we've not put you right. 
If he does not challenge, you say, wow, no, I can't take this. This is too much. This is, too, this is way out there. It's too far. If you're saying that, then I'm preaching it right. If you have not said that yet, I've not preached it. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. New King James. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, what? To all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly loss, we should have live what? Soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. This is what grace does. Who told Bank Akimala to leave the club? Grace. Grace. Grace comes to you and speaks to you by revelation. Speaks to your spirit, to your heart. And you know intuitively what to do. Absolutely. This is what grace does. Now, what grace does, the law can never do. Let me make that distinction. The law says, thou shalt not steal. But it gives you no power to not do it. The law just tells you what you can do, what you cannot do. It lacks the power or the ability to help you. The law says the speed limit on Georgia Highway is 55 miles an hour. It does not give you the ability to not do something. It just waits for you to break the law and it catches you. You just broke the law. That's law. That's law. Grace says not only not to do it, I'll show you how. Which one would you rather have? It teaches us. Avoid these things. Live soberly, righteously, uprightly. When you, when you know that somebody loves you dearly, it breaks your heart when you break their heart. Absolutely, because you say, wow, you, you know how much they love you. Oh my goodness. Man, I feel so bad that I've done this thing. Why? Because you know how much they love you. You know how much they're counting on you. You know how much they're expending on you. So what I'm saying to us is, the reason God loved David so much was, not so because he was so perfect. No. He had faults, many of them. But because he knew what to do, he ran to God all the time, never running away from him. You and I, to show you how much we've been under the law, when we sin or when we miss it, we shut down. We shut down. We run away from God, from God's presence. The guilt, the condemnation. Why are you carrying the guilt? Because you are still under the law. Hello? I said, sins have serious, heavy duty consequence. The only thing is, it's not what God said that we are saying the consequences of sins are for a believer. For a believer. Remember, I already told you, nobody goes to hell 
because of their sins. They go because of unbelief, which really is a type of sin at the end of the day. But it's not sins, plural. They are not going to hell because of their committing adultery or whoremongering or thieving. No, they are going because of unbelief. That's the singular sin. You guys are looking at me funny. You want me to go to the scriptures to show you that? Okay. Because I told you already, if, if I'm not speaking Spanish, don't take it. All right. John chapter 16. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm sorry, I'm just having a... <laughs> me, me and my father are just talking. So, so <laughs> me and the one that loves me, we're just talking. So, I, I don't know about you guys, man. But I'm in love. I'm, I'm, I'm insanely in love. Because someone is insanely in love with me. Amen. You may not love me, it doesn't matter. But he loves me. And he does not change. And every day I get a revelation of that love for me, it just, I, I don't know, man. I just... I, I want to climb up the wall. I want to do something. I just, I just, uh, anyway. John 16. <laughs> Look at what it says. Verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now pay attention. Verse 8. And when he has come, he will convict the world of what? Is it plural? Sin. Singular. Who is he going to convict? The church or the world? Now, this is huge. The Holy Spirit do not convict Believers. That's another for another day. But he convicts the world. And when he convicts the world, there is only one thing he's dealing with. Sin. Okay, let's read on. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Then he begins to break it down. One more verse, verse 9. Of sin, singular, because they do not what? Oh no. You convict them of sin because they commit adultery. You convict them of sin because they steal. Only one thing. Listen to me. Our witnessing will be much more effective when we follow the Bible. Instead of telling your next door neighbor, stop stealing, stop homongering, stop getting drunk. You're wasting your time. There's only one sin that the Holy Spirit is after unbelief. So, our message to the world simply should be my friend, I want you to know Jesus has forgiven all, all your sins, they're forgiven. This guy has a Budweiser in his hand and you are telling him his sins are forgiven. That's the only message. You say, but pastor, what do you mean by that? 
I'm going to show you to you in a few minutes. The only message to the world, forget about the things that constitute the sins. You are wasting your time. Because I'm telling you, when they come to believe, what are they believing? What are they believing? They are believing that Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection has forgiven them of their sins. And if they believe that, that's what makes them born again. So in the believing, the sins are taken care of. Because what they are believing is that Jesus died for their sins, buried for their sins, and rose again from the dead for their victory. But instead of going to them and cataloging, <laughs> boy, I saw you. you, you were, were you not at the racetrack betting for horse, on horses? You do horse betting? You swearing like a sailor? Uh, I, I look at you, man. Uh, I'm not even sure if you're paying your tithe. You don't look like a person that pays your tithe. You, you are listing all these things. For which one are they going to help for? <laughs> you did not tell us. <laughs> which one? Okay, I'm coming. Which one are they? Which one are you coming? There's only one thing in question. Unbelief. We just saw it in the scripture. Unbelief. That's the biggest thing. But our message will become real good news to unbelievers when you let them know without any qualification that their sins are already forgiven. Are you telling the truth when you say that? Yes! Yes! Jesus did not ask my opinion or your opinion when he forgave my sins. He didn't ask anybody's opinion. He just did it. Now, I do not receive the benefit of that forgiveness until I believe it. True story. Please don't lose your thought. True story. I bet you this is a true story. Falahon is not here. The case of George, I can't remember his last name. If I pull up on my iPad, I'll have it because I saved it. His name is George versus U.S. government. No, not George Mama. Not that one. Thank you. I, I, not that one. Huge. Hear this story. True story. In the 1800s, I think 1833, this guy and two of his friends robbed the U.S. mayor in Pennsylvania. And back then, these cases are not protracted forever. Within two months, they were convicted and condemned to death. All of them. The date of the execution came about two months later. The friends... Bam, bam, they were killed. Just like that. But George, whose last name I don't remember right now, George had friends who petitioned the U.S. president for him on his behalf. Hear this. This is true story. They petitioned the U.S. president on his behalf and for some strange reason, he committed his death sentence. He didn't have to die. But here's the kicker. They broke the news to George. This is the order from the president commuting your death sentence. All you have to do is sign it, receive it, it's yours. 
And George refused to receive it. He would not sign it. True story. His family and lawyers argued back and forth and back and forth. This man has been forgiven, pardoned by the U.S. president. The case went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the ruling came down from the Supreme Court. Thus, any man who has been pardoned but refuses to accept the pardon, the pardon is not a pardon, but the judgment must be carried out. And George was summarily executed. True story. Did you hear that? Pardon came. He just did not receive it. The reason people are dying and going to hell is not because we've not been pardoned. God has pardoned everybody under the earth. The problem is, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But to those who received him, to those who believe on his name, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. That's the difference, my friends. That's the difference. Is it too much for you guys? It is? Oh, yes. I'm sorry, Tonya. First and then Doc. Oh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Go ahead. Let me get back to it real quick. Um, based on what you're saying about um, unbelief being the only sin, yes. this is a, a scripture that was kind of drilled in me um, in my years in church. So help me to understand this scripture based on what you're teaching us. It's Revelation 21 and 8. Uh -huh. And it says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And so in this scripture, it says unbelieving is just one of some reasons that you may be separated from, from hell. I mean, separated from God. So help me understand that scripture so I can speak more intelligently later as far as why is unbelief just one of many. Yeah, I hear you. First of all, you need to understand this. You can, more, you can almost find scripture to do anything. Okay? But specifically with what you just mentioned, it mentioned unbelievers and it mentioned liars and all of, all of those things. All of them at the end of the day, even though those vices are there, just like Paul mentioned them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I mean, by the way, Paul is the chief apostle of grace. If anybody talks about grace, Paul among the most of them. is the chief among them, rather. But in that 1 Corinthians chapter 6 question that we just looked at earlier today, he didn't mention unbelieving. He listed the sins. So this is just a matter of semantics. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Do you understand what I just said? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul could have easily said that unbelievers we go to heaven without mentioning the sins. But in that particular passage of scripture, it catalogs those sins one by one. Idolaters, fornicators, adulterers. So that does not negate, and you see more scriptures in a minute that I'm going to give you. It does not negate the, the what we are talking about. Remember John's book, which we've not even gotten there. It's in your notes now. The entire book of John, 
was written so that men and women can come to do what believe. Because that's the big issue. And we're going to see in a few minutes when I go into some other scriptures, this issue of believing. Yes, you have something. But just for now, take it for, to say it's a matter of semantics. I can choose to say believing to make it one and everything. Or I can, I can choose to list them all. It's possible. But if I have to list them all, this, there, will be tab, there will not be enough tablets to list every. Because as you can see, the argument can be made. If I just talked about that verse, oh, I'm, I'm a homosexual. That did not say anything about homosexuality. Do you see my point? I can easily find a verse that I'm in and say that verse, Revelation 21.8, does not mention it. So does that mean it's fine? Do you, do you understand my question? That's the point. That's the point. Who, who has Michael? Mike, I mean, doctor, doctor, and then Bookie. Oh, I'm sorry. And by the way, I found the name of the guy, the guy that U.S. versus George, is George Wilson. George Wilson, true story, 1830. And the president that pardoned him was President Andrew Jackson in 1833, not Obama. The, the Obama here are wishing that it was Obama. No, not Obama. Obama didn't do that. Professor. <laughs> 1830. Yeah, 1830. George Wilson was the criminal. Andrew Jackson was the president who forgave, but the man still died. Go ahead, sir. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm uh, looking at the scripture, and I'm thinking you are answering a question that I've been wrestling with for a long time. Uh, with this guy, Judge Wilson's case. Yes. Uh, if you look at Hebrews chapter 10. <laughs> there you go. From 26 to 30. I just dealt with that last week. So, therefore, if we sin willfully, yep. after we have received the knowledge of the truth, yes. there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Yes. For the certain fearful expectation of judgment and yes. sorry indignation. Yes. Yes. which will devour the adversaries. Yes. Anyone who has rejected Moses' laws dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Yes. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will be? Will he be, will be he thought of worse? Yeah. Who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the spirit of grace. of grace. Yep. I'm thinking this scripture here is talking about uh, this willful sin that they're talking about here. I think is is really around the same thing that you're talking about. Someone who has the grace to or to um, who has already gotten the grace to. Uh, to obey through the blood of Jesus, but out of unbelief, decided not to go for that. Is that what I'm hearing, or am I confused? No, that, that's not really. That particular passage there, the explanation you gave fits the, fits the uh, story of Hebrews chapter 6, mm -hmm. another very difficult passage. But in this case here, really it's an unbeliever, period. An unbeliever, in the sense that before I finally got born again, how many times did I go to church? I was in church. I heard the truth pre preached. 
I heard it. I didn't believe it. I, I went out and willfully still sinned. Do you follow what I'm saying? Remember the book of Hebrews is written to those people who are trying to stay saved and at the same time have another something they can fall back on. So what the scripture is saying is there is no other way to God, to heaven, other than Jesus Christ. End of story, period. You cannot devise your own mechanism for salvation. You cannot come up with your own prescription to the sin issue. No. Once you start going there, you are on your own. There's no other way. It's Jesus plus nothing. Folks, the more I study this and read this, you know what happens? All of a sudden, my Jesus gets bigger. It gets bigger. Because then I get, wow, Jesus, you did this for me? Me? It gets bigger and bigger. That's what David is referring to when he says, magnify the Lord with me. Ah, are you guys seeing what I'm saying? We need to make him bigger. Magnify him. Because all of a sudden, he's become a one-person solution to everything. That's who he is. That's who he is. Now, I want to address the consequence of sin after your question. Okay. My, okay. I don't have a question. I oh. Sure. Okay, Revelation 1 verse 8. Okay. I understand it. I understand that under the law, so let's, if I try to be literal about it, Old Testament, we have ten commandments. Thou shalt not lie. If you lie, you are a liar. Under the New Testament, what we are asked under the new covenant with Jesus is believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died for your sin. If you do not believe, you are an unbeliever. So in that list, in my own mind, what I understand it to be is that those who are being referred to, we have the liars, the adulterers, the, all those people, who, all those who violated the law, under the law, who didn't have access to grace, were the ones being listed. And to cover for our own dispensation, that will be the unbelievers, those who chose not to believe in Jesus. So I don't see that scripture as contradicting everything we've been trying to say right now, but rather that you have unbelievers, you have liars, you have adulterers, you have thieves, People who broke the law as it was under the old covenant. Amen. Thanks. Yes. Uh, I have two scriptures here. One clearly uh, much in line with what we have been dealing with in the last few minutes. Okay. And this is Romans chapter 10 from verse 1. Uh, and it says, Brethren, my heart desires and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law. For the righteousness to everyone who believes. So, now, on the same Talking though, probably slightly different. If you now look at Ephesians 5, okay, uh, knowing fully that Paul is the apostle of grace, correct. There's a scripture here that is a little bit disturbing, <laughs> okay. 
from verse 5. Okay. So for this you know that no fornicator, mm -hmm. unclean person, mm -hmm. not conventional man, mm -hmm. who is an idolater, mm -hmm. has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Mm -hmm. For because of these things, mm -hmm. the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Okay. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Okay. What's your question? Everything that they listed, it says uh, they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. C can I finish my next segment? <laughs> no, no, seriously. Um, we, 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 let me finish my next segment and then we'll, we'll now look at the scriptures. Because okay. it's, it's easier when you have the, uh, the whole truth versus when we're dealing with portions of truth. But first of all, let me, let me address the issue of the, let, let me pull this back. So, I'm sitting up for a minute. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I just want to take this out of the way so that, uh, yeah, thank you, for a minute, while I'm sitting down. Yeah. First of all, I want to make it absolutely clear that there are consequences for sin. I don't want to leave us here hanging, not even... Uh, talking about that. So what are the consequences for sin? If a man commits adultery or steals or whatever the sin is, there are consequences that comes to them right now in the here and now in this world. And it is not pleasant. The same David that God said is a man after my heart who will do all of my will lived in so much sorrow for the things he did. His house was divided. His children hated one another. He fought wars from dusk to dawn or dawn to dusk. So I'm through, I, I want you to understand that. Now, symbolically or typically, he did not lose his salvation. But all of the things it went through, is it worth it? For a cheap thrill? For any man to lay in bed with a woman that's not their wives and have a thrill of a moment and live in pain and agony for years on end? Think about it. So it's not so much God saying you can't come to heaven. But the things you and I have to deal with in spite of the love of God. Why? Because whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So I go and rob a bank. God, oh, I blew it. The one who you loved has robbed the bank. The moment I say it, Talk to God about it, I'm forgiven. Instantly. I'll die and go straight to heaven. Angels will welcome me into their bosom. Does that stop the state of Georgia from persecuting me? Does the state of Georgia understand that God has forgiven me? Absolutely not. They lock me up and throw the keys away. And all of the sharks in the prison 
have me for meat and breakfast, lunch and dinner. Lunch and dinner. So make, make no mistake about it at all. Sin cost. It cost. Absolutely. And God will allow you to pay that price while he's loving you. Because he wants you to know. Can a man take fire in his bosom without being burned? No way. No way. It's not possible. Do we understand that? I want, to, I want to make sure we understand that very well. Sin has consequences. You do the crime, you pay the price. Absolutely. You, can, you can't even pray for crop failure. The sin in this ground and every seed must produce after its own kind. I want that to be absolutely clear. There's no sloppy grace here. Or greasy grace, as they call it. Or sloppy agape. No, 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 no. You do the sin, you pay for it. Jesus, our bigger brother, may not preclude you from being in heaven, but you pay a serious price. A serious price. You walk through life limping. And that limp, every time you limp, you remember, oh, hey, they broke my leg while I was trying to steal. And there will be no healing for that leg. Amen. <laughs> Question? Okay. I am not sure if there's any one answer that covers all for that. I think that's where the role of the Holy Spirit comes to play. That's where the role of the Holy Spirit in my life can help me understand, bank, you are in this because I'm pruning you. This is a pruning season in your life. I want you to be more productive and therefore I'm pulling back on you some so that I can deal with you so that you can be much more productive when I release you. And then being honest with ourselves based on what God is saying to us. Uh, Dr. Nofiok is not here now. I mean, he will tell you. I mean, when I first met this guy, every time he opened his mouth, he talks about the fellowship of his suffering. He was in a very hard place. And he was not ashamed to say, I'm in this hard place because God is dealing with me and some things in my life. Whereas other Christians will have a crutch and they will blame it on this and that. If, if we are blaming it on this and that, we will never grow. We, ne- we won't leave that spot. Because God still desires truth. In our inward parts. Amen? Yes. Yeah. Um, one of the I think, uh, yes. yeah. in, a, in looking at the whole thing about salvation and being saved, I think being Christian, sometimes we get so puffed up with that knowledge, and yet it's so simple. If we look at the cross, right there at the cross is a typical example of what God came to show us. There was a robber on the right and there was a robber on the left. Just like what Pastor Bang said now. One was forgiven because he believed. And there was yet another one on the side who did not believe. And he died and went to hell. Yet they say the, the punishment was there for the crimes that they, 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 he died. But he went to heaven. 
it's right there on the cross for us to see. And I think so, so many times we make it a little bit more difficult. I, I, I strongly believe that it's a matter of belief in the Lord Jesus. And he gave us a typical good example right there at the cross. Amen. Oh, let me help you. Don't stretch yourself. You're welcome. They said it was on. I just need a little clarity, Pastor. Sure. You mentioned that there is no sin that can remove us from God. From the love of God. Yes. From the love of God. Yes. Since the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> I need explanation with Isaiah 59.2. Okay. What does it say? It says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Okay. That's very easy. That's very easy. How do I, how do I, I hope everybody's paying attention. It is very important for me and you, especially when we are reading the scriptures, to understand in what dispensation God is speaking. Huge. Each dispensation has its corresponding protocol or house rules, if you will. So if in this dispensation, these are the rules, A, B, C, D, then God deals with us based on A, B, C, D in that dispensation. Huge. And the challenge for all of us now is understanding, number one, those dispensations and what God does and how, what, what the what the house rules are in that dispensation. For instance, we said this morning how much God loves his entire creation. Right? Is that correct? Yes. But still, it also go and kill all of Agag, all of the Amalekites. The same God that loved them said, kill every last one of them, including child and beast. How do you explain that? How can you explain that a loving God will absolutely kill innocent people? How is it any different from Osama? Hello? And you guys are looking at me so funny, man. This is not a trick question. Did it not happen? Did you not read it? He was able to do that because under that dispensation, that's how he punished evil. Will he do that today? No. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So what I'm saying to us is to answer your question there. The issue here is God had different rules or maybe not even rules. Protocol for different dispensations. 
It does. Now, in some of those dispensations, in Isaiah, for instance, he gives this prophet a little glimpse of the future. What is to happen? He gave to Ezekiel, he gave to Jeremiah, and he gave to Isaiah. For instance, Isaiah was not there when he said he was wounded for our transgression. Had it happened then? No. Jesus had not been to the cross, but Isaiah saw it. God gave it to him by revelation. But Isaiah still lived where? Under the Old Testament. So his entire portfolio was Old Testament, but every now and then, God gave him a glimpse, a glimpse, a snapshot of the future. That's it. But it's important that you put on the right spectacle if you're going to see correctly. That's why I said to you at the beginning, every word must be interpreted through his son. Period. That's the language. If you miss that, and if you don't apply that rule, you miss it every time. So the question, to, to, to apply that to her question, did Jesus allow sins to separate people from him? Just what you know about Jesus' ministry. That's the answer. That's how you, that's how you read scriptures. That's a good exercise. If nothing else, he went to sinners. In the Old Testament, under the old economy, priests could not walk near a dead. By the mere fact that they touched a dead person, they became unclean in the old. But in the new, Jesus laid his hands on them, they were whole. You've got to, certain basic things we must put in place, otherwise we will miss it. That's why I said to you, the key to rest is Jesus. Come unto me. And he says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, see what I'm doing. Let me lead you and guide you. He said, learn of me. So when I read anything Isaiah, if I read anything Nahum, if I read anything Haggai, I bring that to Jesus and say, okay, how does Jesus line up with what I'm reading? That's the revelation. Does that make sense? If we don't do that, We'll be so confused, convoluted in our thinking and understanding. We are speaking through both sides of the mouth. The challenge for me and you, and I'm still there, I'm not completely free of this. We can live under the law for one day and live under grace the next day. Back and forth and back and forth. I don't know too many people as master living in grace all of the time. There may be some of them, I just don't know them yet. So, so today, I may be high on grace. High octane grace is there. And tomorrow I'm back to my law where I have to jo- But the more we read and the more our mind is renewed, the more it becomes a natural default for us where you are just grace. But it doesn't happen overnight. Do you understand my explanation just now about Isaiah 58 and 59? It's important. Everything must now be judged or understood by virtue of Jesus. What did the Bible say? Hebrews chapter 1. In times past... Including when? Isaiah's land. I spoke to you through who? Prophets and the Father. Including Isaiah. But now, in these last days, forget what Isaiah said. Forget what the fathers have said. I'm speaking to you only through my son. Does that make any sense? So if Isaiah said it, and Jesus does not line up with it, I'm discarding Isaiah. Because the same Bible tells me, Forget Isaiah, look at the son. 
Did I make that up? 